you say that and we say it. Okay. So. Um, Strike that from the record. Let me let me start the music. Yes, Lord Snowden. Oh, good show. Oh, good show. Do you think, you think we're picking up the music? Margaret, you look like a manicurist. <laughs> That's real. Do you think we should do? Do you think we should do our own parody of of the Crown, an Italian version of the Crown? La Corona. Do you know do well Margaret? Well, it's you quite it's quite a quandary, isn't it? Oh, good show, Rosella, yes. Yes, we must get the Count de Changi. The yeah. Count de Changard. I heard the Count de Changard was jousting yesterday. <laughs> uh, I asked him to carry my guidon, but he was impaled from another... All right, we ready to rock and roll? Yes. I'm going to hit the... Th- yes. <laughs> da, da, da. Do you know yes. why you play yes. the rhyme music intro for the news? Goodbye. Dun, 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 dun. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. Welcome back, everybody who's stuffed with ravioli, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola, and we are coming to you from one of the main streets of Italian America, Arthur Avenue, here in the Bronx's Little Italy, and a wonderful new restaurant called Mangi Pasta. And uh, couldn't ask for a better place to have this show because, amongst the many centuries old businesses in this historic Little Italy, we're in one of the newest ones, and the reason we're here today is because uh, we have a very special guest. First of all, let me introduce my uh, co-hosts, the two people I spend probably the most time with after my wife and my family, the notorious P.O.B., Pat O'Boyle, the Cavav, and uh, our very own Rosella Rago is here across from me. And uh, hi, guys. Are you tired? What's up? No, you know what? Do you want my, what's really going through my head? Because yeah. I'm not paying any attention to what's going on. <laughs> We're really tired. We've had a very communally long 48 hours, and we're all crashing. Yeah, and, we now, and now we're in a pasta coma because we just had uh, <laughs> so, lunch at Manji Pasta. So we're, we're, we're loading up on really irreconcilable quantities of coffee. Of yes, espresso, we are. To hope to keep ourselves awake. And I never, ever put sugar in my coffee. But you did today. And I put two teaspoons in my espresso today, and I'm like, wow, this is really good. <laughs> So Pat has Pat, discovered Pat's sweetened, got a whole new coffee. sweetened coffee. This is like gentlemen. bad. It finally this is like made a, it to North Carolina. This is not a good. No, you don't this, want this to no. be. No, this is lead me not into temptation. So we're kind of in a bit of a pasta coma right mm-hmm. now. We just ate all the carbs because at Manji Pasta, you can pick your pasta shape, dress it with almost any sauce you like. Yeah. And it's like, I, I really love this take on um, Italian-American food executed by... Italians that live in America yeah. in a way that's not like, you know, making fun of Italian American yeah. food or, or yeah. anything like that. I feel like the pasta was so, so good. And that might be why we're all a little like low energy today. We yeah. have had a long day, but, you know, the mangi pasta pasta was just so good. It's fantastic. It. Let me just say this about what, I, what impressed me today with mangi pasta was that if Italy's been criticized for something, and I think rightfully so, in the last 40 to 50 years, has been a lack of creativity and innovation. So if you look to Italian culture, be it in food or cinema, anything, 
you look at the go- the golden era that was the post-war boom, the 50s and 60s, right? And then Italy starts to starts to slow down, and then Italy's become a culture that, in a lot of cultural ways, only lives on the past. But there's not a lot of innovation. This kind of restaurant, I think, proves that the millennial generation of Italians have tremendous capacity to bring Italy to where it should be as the world's leader of culture. I agree. Because with that. it's keeping it's it's taking traditional Italian dishes and presenting them in a modern way. Maintaining the quality that's the definitional quality, to Italian tradition. cuisine. Yeah. The owner is a Neapolitan who's, who's in her 30s, her early 30s, from Naples. And so many times, you know, we've discussed it, there's a confrontation with America. You know, this is how we do it in Italy, this is how it, how it is, and if you don't like it, then, then don't eat my food. But what I liked about here was it, it kind of adapted that American, I got to get in, got to get out. Yeah. Um, I like my pappardelle with cacio e pepe, but I don't, you know, it gave you the flexibility of mixing and matching, which was kind of prohibited in Italy. Sure. We, we eat this dish and we eat it this way, and yeah. this is how you eat it correctly. And I, I, see these, I see the young Italians leaving Italy, going around the world, and they're, they're just exploding with success. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking that they can't do this in their own country. Yeah, it's true. Mm. Yeah, they're coming back home and be like, my, I did something so crazy. I had fusilli alla carbonara. <laughs> so yes. crazy. Yeah, a, I am a radical mom. Well, this is a great place, and, and it's something I want to discuss today, that hybridization. And really because not just the hybridization of culture, what it means for Italy, but what it means for our historic neighborhoods. Because to see modern Italian businesses open in, in historic Little Italy, historic... Italian enclaves, to me, is the best hope of the future. And the person who brought us here today came in as an expert on our video show um, and really has stayed at the table as a friend. She's, let me say first and foremost, before her professional credentials, she's also a member of the New Neighborhood, which thank you for your support of (laughs) what we do. Uh, It really means a lot. Daniela Thierry is the co-founder of Feast on History and also the co-founder and really spirit behind the Arthur Avenue food tours, which are really, really well-received. You bring so many people through this great can neighborhood. I, can I plug it in, man? Yeah, yeah, I was waiting for you to go. I want to you know, plug. Listen, nobody wants a dust collector anymore for Christmas. Everyone's complaining, I got too much stuff, I have too much junk. The perfect gift to give this Christmas is to buy your loved ones the Arthur Avenue tour with Danielle. Yeah, we have gift certificates. There's gift certificates, <laughs> and then they can't complain. Another dust collector, where am I going to put this? That's true. It's an experience. It's an experience. It's experience. With the best of the best things. in the best place you could be. I think the premier Little Italy now in the United States. It's definitely, yes. I, I mean, mean, yes. I don't want to hurt anybody's no, feelings, it's but to, it's, hard, it's to, hard to beat it. Yeah, it is hard to beat it. The food's fantastic. She, she knows the purveyors. The purveyors know her. She knows the history. It's a combo. If you want to make your family happy... Contact Danielle and buy the tour. Well, Danielle, we talk to you all the time. In the new, <laughs> as friends, we talk to you all the time in the new neighborhood. Um, welcome to the show, finally. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This is fun. This is so weird to be looking at you <laughs> <laughs> while I'm listening to you because I'm used to just listening to you. While you walk the dog. It's well, a shame you couldn't bring the dog. I know. Rocco would love to be here. That's Even my dog's name, too. I know. <laughs> is Rocco Could maybe say Rocco's always picture with a dog? Is that why you Maybe subconsciously. Yeah, a, well, no, very consciously. He's a patron saint of dogs. Yeah. I you know, didn't do that on You know purpose. what's yeah. so weird? My family growing up had parrots, and every parrot's name was Rocky. <laughs> I don't know how that fits into anything. It's, but it's been a long day. Yeah. Uh, so we have been re- walking around Arthur Avenue all day for our Christmas special. I hope those people out there that are listening have been able at this point to watch our first episode of Greetings from Italian America that was uh, released last week. Uh, it's been really successful and well-received, and we're very excited about 
this program. It's still available on YouTube if you haven't seen it. You know, I do want to just take a moment because you talk about the impact of media because Vantage just added Media Set Italia to the new Italian package, and I have been watching all of my favorite Italian shows, and there's so many new premieres that are happening right now. I've been watching new seasons of Isla di Pietro and uh, Amici, plus there's a new series of Domenica Live with Barbara D'Urso and a new game show called Conto alla Rovescia with Jerry Scotti. So I've been really enjoying this, and if you too want to have Mediaset Italia on your Vantage TV subscription, you can call Vantage TV at one 499 2874 and ask for the Italian package featuring Mediaset Italia. It's only $17 a month plus taxes and fees with your Vantage TV by Frontier subscription, and you can get it together with Rai Italia, which is the international version of uh, Rai. So again, if you want this great TV package, call one 499 2874 Restrictions may apply, and I think you'll enjoy it, because more Italian is always a good thing. Um, So we were here today all day filming what will be the third episode, our Christmas episode, here on Arthur Avenue. And in coming to Arthur Avenue, we mentioned this is probably the best Little Italy in the country, definitely the most vibrant. You're the expert. What makes this place special? It's a really strange combination of things you could never replicate again. Um, One of the primary things being that the shops are here because people from the suburbs come back. So a lot Mm. of Arthur Avenue Italians went to Westchester in Connecticut. And normally parking lots and highways are not good for historic preservation. But in this case, they have been because people can come back and easily park their car. They put a cooler in the back seat. They spend $300 in the butcher shop. You get a box of ravioli. You have lunch at Mario's. And then, oh, let's get a box of cannoli before we go home. So there's this huge economic influx that keeps these businesses going. And loyalty is a two-way street. The shopkeepers remember them. They spend their money. People feel good about spending money here. And also because many of the shopkeepers own their buildings and have these loyal clientels, their prices are excellent. So we're in the poorest congressional district in the United States. Wow. Here I in the Bronx. Yes, the very poorest. Wow. And, um, and But people that live in the neighborhood who have very little can still afford to buy really good quality food. Good quality food. food. So even for people who aren't Italian, you know, there's a lot of Mexican people in this neighborhood now. They do Sunday dinner. Yeah. And they go into the butcher shop and they buy all the stuff for like carnitas. And yeah. so they're supporting the neighborhood too. And Fordham students who are right nearby can afford to shop here and then their parents come to town and they go to a restaurant. So all these combinations of people who like to eat and appreciate good quality food, who like to be together, who like to see people that they remember, this is the place that they can come back to. Can I just jump in because I'm becoming more and more mindful of people from outside the New York metro area. Even though this is the poorest congressional district, it's a fantastic area. Yeah. It's a great place. It's a real place. It's it's New York. It's New York. You're right down the road from Fordham, yeah. for, and you would never, ever imagine this was the poorest congressional district in the country. It's a fantastic. You come here any time of day and night, park. The parking's reasonable. The Bronx is in the city of New York. To have reasonable parking anywhere in New York is kind of shocking. But yeah. it's a, it's, there's a parking lot here. The meters, you know, three three bucks, you're here for a couple hours. You can't beat it. You could, like, exactly like you yeah. said, then you cannot replicate the magic that this place is. Well, and, and we all have all these family businesses that are fourth and fifth generation. And, you know, so many people say to me, well, what happens when everyone goes to college and doesn't want to do this anymore? Well, the first generation to go to college in this neighborhood happened in the 50s. It's already over. Yeah, and it's they, survived that. We've had, you know, four generations of people who have gone to college. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, this, this shop is owned by a woman who's in her early 30s. Uh, 
the butcher shop that my family used to own has just been taken over by Peter DeLuca Jr., who's in his early 30s, you know, worked in the theater world before this and decided to come back to his family business. Chris Borgatti just graduated from Fordham, and he said, well, I could go out in the world and I could start from scratch or I could take over my family's 84-year-old business and make it better. Yeah, that's so, so, that's yeah, so, so many that's people. That's the great, you know, you just hit the nail on the head. And one thing I think about coming here for so long is that I give Arthur Avenue credit because I think that a lot of Little Italy's gave up and just said, well, when mom and pop die, we're going to close up the store and call it a day. And I think that when that moment hit here, I'd say about 20, 30 years ago, Arthur Avenue fought back and they really got on the food channel wave when Americans began to really think about food. Well, when Italians became cool, we happened to still be here. That's (laughs) that's true. When Italians became cool. I think the the Chris Borgatti comment is fantastic where he's saying, I'm going to take over the business and I'm going to make it better. And that's exactly what we want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, they've got, they're selling their pasta online now because so many of their clientele have moved to Florida or North Carolina. Um, But yeah, people are seeing the opportunities that exist from a, and also from the neighborhood, you know, all these, New York in general is just filled with chain stores now. And this is, you know, when people come here on a tour, they often buy a dried sausage at the Calabria pork store because where else can you get something that's truly made in New York? Well, and the (laughs) the saddest part of it is like, you know, you look at a lot of other neighborhoods all over the country. Most Italian Americans have some um, origin story in an Italian enclave in a little Italy. So you have something in your consciousness somewhere from a little Italy. And it's sad to think in a lot of the urban um, renaissance that's gone on in the past 20 years in this country, a lot of these neighborhoods where you were just seeing businesses sort of give in or throw, the, throw in the towel, butchers and uh, fishmongers and stuff, the renaissance hit and they were replaced by artisanal ones mm-hmm. where it was uh, you know like a butcher shop that was there 100 years in a 10 to 15 year gap and then there's this artisanal butcher that comes in and everything is sort of remade to look old you know what I mean and it's amazing to think that that has become such a popular um, driver behind the sense of quality and experience and uniqueness and here they never went away so they are real and they are authentic and that's all too rare I think you know what do you say to the people that think that you know the the golden age is somewhat over that it's all about to come crashing down i i i, I think there are those um we're strange negative people like, well, let's not <laughs> italian american i feel like i meet those people once yeah. in a while those, those people that say oh but it's all over it's coming to an end it's yeah finished. It's I, finished. you know what it, it kind of reminds me of the same thing as when you know our relatives i'm sure we all heard it at some point when you said What's it like in Italy? And they said, oh, there's nothing there anymore. Right. And, yeah, people say that. There are people that work here that I see every day. They say, oh, it's all coming to an end. But you know what? Those people have been saying that for their entire lives. I I went to Fordham, and I found this place when I got to Fordham as a freshman uh, almost 20 years ago. And I came back today. I was looking. Some businesses have changed and whatnot. But there's one business in particular I won't name. But uh, still open, and the proprietor told me the day I got there, ah, next year you come back, I won't be here. Mm-hmm. It's all over. It's 20 years later, yeah. the store is still there. <laughs> that is so uh, wonderful about who we are, too, because yeah. we, we do have that the chicken little, the sky is falling yeah. syndrome. But it's, it's generational, too. I think so many of the younger folks that are taking over, and there are a lot of them, there's a whole new generation sort of coming in mm. now. They've been to Italy. Yeah. Um, they have a deeper connection to Italy or an interest in Italy that's different. Their Italy is not like the poor, miserable place. Yeah. I mean, they know those stories from their grandparents, but they've also been there on vacation, and they see the opportunities, and they see how cool it is, and they see how their friends think Italy is amazing, and so they're 
capitalizing on that here in a really positive way. There's a global generation, yeah. right? I mean, and, and the fascinating thing for me is, and I, I can't stress it enough, being here in a restaurant opened by a Neapolitan who came here and came to Arthur Avenue because, you know, look, let's face it, Italy has seen a lot of economic stress in the past really 20 years, uh, a continuous sort of uh, struggle Unemployment rates in the South, particularly youth unemployment, are incredibly high. You don't see the availability of funds to capitalize a lot of businesses. So we're exporting human beings and talent like we used to from Italy. And I see people come and open businesses. And, like, I see a lot of Italians have opened businesses around Bleecker Street Mm -hmm. and uh, up here. So it's fascinating to me that Italians come and come to these historic enclaves and want to kind of reinvest and reinvigorate them in some sense. I think that that is such a blessing yeah. to a neighborhood, you know. Is, is it happening a lot around here? Well, not a lot, but there's a few. There's a tailor that's opened up that makes custom suits. He actually will take your measurements and then implements them in Naples. Did you know that, Pat? Just, no. Just wow. down, the, just wow. a block away from here, there's okay. another uh, really great restaurant called San Gennaro Trattoria, another chef from Naples who's doing beautiful food. Um, at Cittini Coffee and Gifts, they have a very strong tie to Italy, and they're always kind of looking at, for new products in Italy that they can bring. And so, I mean, my hope is I want to. I want to. <laughs> my dream is to like get all the Italians, expats that are living in Lower Manhattan, and say, "Come to the Bronx. This is your home. <laughs> <laughs> Open up businesses. Bring another gelateria." <laughs> but I mean, it's true. Like, like, look at some of these places that have opened up in and around Bleecker Street, some near Mulberry, and you know, I, I do think that is. Um, a, a great opportunity going forward. Yeah, because well, it's less expensive in the Bronx. That helps that's if you're really young true. and you're right. Yeah. yeah. And the one difference here, the, I think, an important difference is there are still more Italians living in the neighborhoods. Not that many, but yeah. more than any other little Italy left around this area, at least. You know. And it's it's a destination. People know yeah. if you want to get good burrata, go down Arthur Avenue. This You'll is, find it. Yeah. So how exactly did you start doing the Arthur Avenue food tour? So tell me about the first one. Very first one was for the food buyers of Marks and Spencer's department store in London. In London, that's yeah. amazing. So tally ho! Tally wow, ho. that what the? <laughs> I mean, what were they buying? So they're uh, food developers, um, product researchers, and so Melissa Clark from the New York Times wrote on Twitter that she was looking for somebody that knew Arthur Avenue well because they had hired her to give them a tour of New York as they were just in town to research new ideas. She didn't know anybody. A friend of mine said, "Oh, contact my friend Danielle." Um, She put them in contact with me. I gave them a tour of the neighborhood. They had never had a cannoli before. They said, oh, it's like a cheap carnival donut. And I almost died. That's not good. Pat is fuming inside. Carnival donut. Pat is so upset. Look at him. What's the worst thing that they said? That that is the worst thing. Did they say anything nice? I mean, no, they didn't. Like a cheap carnival donut. I don't think that. I think the north of England is a little. No, I'm just different. No, I'm because I'm, I'm. You know, I'm going for the jugular on this one. <laughs> no, they were they you were know, fine. They were. It was also at the end of a trip. It was the last thing they did, and then at the end, cheap Did they ask you questions like, "Oh, Danielle, is your family in the mafia?" The true the mafia films <laughs> I see. You know, I've seen this. It's like Stephen Fry's America. I have. Uh, I have had. They another, didn't ask me that, but I have had many people ask me that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that in the mafia? Do they I pay you? That's we've all. I think we've all. I had one person ask me if my fam. I said something about my family business, and he was from Texas, and he said. And he said it with a serious straight face. We were in line to the cathedral. You were at me. Yeah, exactly. And he said, what kind of business y'all are in? Olive oil? 
I'm uh, like, what? What? <laughs> the Junko. <laughs> <all Yeah>. yeah. <laughs> I know what that means. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. But no, but I, at the end of that tour, they handed me $500, and I was like, wow, this I could get paid to take people shopping for food? <laughs> and this is in... Uh, uh, it was about 2008, 2009, so like a food tour wasn't quite a thing. So then I started to do it as a one-off thing, and I was like, you know, it's like an episode of Anthony Bourdain, except, you know, uh, it just sort of grew organically, and as the idea of a food tour grew more and more, um, I started doing it more. The New York Botanical Gardens asked me to formalize this as a program for their members, and here I am now. It's a, my full-time job. My husband left his job as a sommelier at Italy in March, and he does this full-time as well. And wow. here we are. That's amazing. Because it's so scary to make that jump from something that you're incredibly passionate about uh, to leave, you know, what you're doing to pay the bills and just totally focus on it. I mean, John, I think you can relate to, like, what... Danielle um, must have been going through well, it. Well, I, I come from the culture world. I worked in the museum world for 15 years, yeah. which people think sounds great, but it's not the most well-paid <laughs> environment in the, in the world. Hold on, hold on. I got, I got None it. of us so. are doing anything that we do for money. I'm no, convinced. No. Danielle deserves a shout-out. Danielle is an expert in medieval art. So while you tell our fans out there what your uh, artistic background, your artistic educational background is in. Well, I studied... Art history. I have a master's in art history and worked at the cloisters, at the Met Cloisters, for 15 years. And um, my it all started off with an interest in Naples. I studied the Renaissance in Naples, which is categorized as medieval if you go to academic conferences in the United States, just the nature of the way they divide up the time periods. And um, I'm an expert on the unicorn tapestries. Oh, wow. I'm writing a book about them. That's Are you really? <laughs> yeah. I've got an article coming out about them in the New Yorker. So I have a, a wide That's range awesome. of interest. She's the bomb. You are the bomb. So history this is, is my why Danielle is at the table. Her her skills are so many. So when you go when you go and you get your family to go on the, the Arthur <laughs> Avenue tour at Christmas, when you buy the tickets, you can also discuss the unicorn tapestries yes. with Danielle. That's a two for one package. She's but a real good conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> but so take us through what happens on an Arthur Avenue tour with you. So we always say our not-so-secret mission is to turn everybody into uh, uh, somebody who's going to come shop at Arthur Avenue. And that's really strong in our mission is that we are here to support this neighborhood and to introduce people to what's good here. And so a lot of people will come and, you know, they wander around and maybe they have some pastry or a plate of pasta. But they look around and they see all these, these old ladies carrying the bag or yeah. dragging the cooler on the wheels. Yeah. And they're like, what do they know that I don't know? Yeah. So that's what we do. We tell them what they need to know. So we introduce all the major Italian food groups, pastry, pasta, mozzarella, and give them a taste along the way, a slow graze, as I like to say, of what I believe are the very best bites in the neighborhood. But I also encourage them to disagree. I say, for example, there are five delis that make mozzarella every single day. They're all excellent. This is the one that I think is the best. I want you to come back and try the other four. It's hard. <laughs> and, it's right. hard and maybe, to choose sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It really is that. And, and Italians are so territorial like that. We want you to pick a side. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if you patronize this one deli, you can't go to the other guy. It's like you got to you gotta just choose a team. We, uh, so the two people sitting to my side that I spend way too much time with have two very different takes on that sense of competition and who we are. Rosella, and I always agree with both of them because I'm sort of the dichotomy between the two. Like, Rosella always says, no, we're evolved. You can love two kinds of cannolis yeah. or listen to two Italian-American podcasts. It's okay. There's more than enough. Pat says all the time, that's what fuels our creativity, competing against one another. And when we finally go on to the lifeboat compound to keep our culture alive, 
we have to have two of everything, mm. otherwise we won't have anything to compete with. And so I kind of agree with both. You've got to have two pastry shops because you're going to go to one, and one's going to tick you off, and then you're going to go to the other one for like nine months, <laughs> and then you're not going to like whatever I'll they show made you. with the other one. Yeah. And then you're going to find an excuse to go back and see how they treat you. And they're going to say, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. What happened? And then they might offer you a free cookie, and you don't know if they forgot what happened or they're trying to make peace. So, it's, it, see, it's it, tang culture at its essence is a network of personal relationships. Yeah, that's so Absolutely. true. Absolutely. That's so and true. And Italians, they want to know the guy making the because they, they want to know the... What? They want to know he didn't poison you. He didn't poison yeah. me, <laughs> and they're going to talk about, you know, his daughter's having a baby, and he had just go get, like, his eyes checked, and he has a cataract, and he went to this doctor, and you should go to this doctor because you have a cat. We're based on... There's a lot of Polish delis by me. It's a huge Polish community. I grew up with Polish kids. I love Polish food. I like Polish cured meats, smoked meats, kielbasa. I can go to these delis for 20 years. They will never ask you how you are. They will never <laughs> ask you your name. It's like being in this. Now, a friend of mine who's They'll never who's a, remember you each no, time now, you go. A friend of mine who's Polish, who has a degree in Slavic history, masses in, in, in Slavic history, said to me, communism had a lot to do with that because in oh, a communist country, you didn't ask questions. Yeah. The less wow. you have to talk with yeah. strangers, the better. So she said that destroyed customer service in Poland. Wow. But I also think we are who we are. And I was said to someone once, if I went to an Italian deli twice, they'd know your social security number by the third yep. visit. And you start trying to start a conversation in a Polish deli, and they look at you like, well, did you just get out of the institution? Why are you talking to me? Now, let me tell you, when I was a kid, I, I always remember we would go every summer to Italy, and we'd always land in Rome. And we'd spend a couple of days in Rome. My uncle had lived there. Uh, we'd go to Campo dei Fiori, we'd have breakfast pizza, white breakfast pizza, and there was a little old lady who had like a stall on the piazza, and she would sell cold cuts, and the, right? And every year we came back, we'd be there for three days maybe in Rome, and then we'd go south. She would remember us, and she'd remember what we liked, and it was just, you know, we barely even spoke to her, but she knew... That's you were, it's That's amazing yeah. to me, and it meant so, so much as kids, because... For us, it was like we, you know, we were only there a couple of weeks a year, but we felt like we belonged. And that yeah. is what I love about this neighborhood. Because and Yeah, that's such a strong thing here. Yes. And it's, it's funny because, you know, if you were to ask my husband, Christian, who also leads the tours here, he would agree with Pat that you need, it's the competition <laughs> that keeps things vibrant around here. Whereas I say, in terms of what we're trying to do, a rising tide lifts all boats. Nobody's going to come to Arthur Avenue for one bakery or one yeah. deli, yes. but they come here to to go to all yes, of them. Yes, it's a mosaic. Yeah. It has to be mosaic. And, and the, the greatest secret about this neighborhood is that all these people cooperate with each other, and nobody will admit it, and they'll talk about their feuds yeah, and, and who they don't like or they don't like. Well, we're but still an Italian neighborhood. There are, there are feuds, but the, the reason it all works is they actually all cooperate. Yeah. You know, all the restaurants buy their meat, their cheese, their fish from the shops, the wholesalers. The, like, there's a whole economic yeah. ecosystem that works on this silent, begrudging <laughs> cooperation. <laughs> and it's actually... That's yeah, evolved, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is how Italians are. That's the village. In, in, That's the village. Brooklyn, That's the village. There are That's two the kind of competing Italian supermarkets, and uh, one is Sicilian and one is Bade's, and the Bade's people all shop at the Sicilian market, <laughs> and the Sicilians all shop at the Bade's. Ah, like, they, they, they're perfect. like, I will not support you. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. You that know, perfect. Just, just out of spite. I mean, yeah. spite is the reason Italians are still here. Yes, yeah, bite pushes us very, Correct. very much. I do the, find that it's yeah. like the thing I don't like to admit about myself, yeah. Yeah. but it's it is a motive. It is a, it sharpens me. Oh, spite <laughs> is the most efficient fuel. It's the high grade, yeah. you know, fuel for who we are. Oh, we're, really tr we're trying to be better, especially like 
you know, John and I both sell T-shirts. Yeah. You can wear two different T-shirts. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, but you're on the same team. Doing a better job than we ever have as a community. We're, we're more, yeah. we're more we civil. We are, we're that's more step civil. Step one. That's but a the great com- step. But Italians and, and the is still, at the end of the day, the DNA cannot be, you cannot, you cannot trump the DNA. I don't know. I think even in Italy, the Italians that are succeeding are the people that... Can well, cooperate and play nice and, yeah. and keep La Bella if you would. I, 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 I got I have to. I, I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> because I think. Let me ask you. You're the art historian. We have the art historian here. Am I incorrect to say that so much of the beauty of Renaissance Italy was fueled by the competition between Raphael and Michelangelo? No, I think that's actually overstated. The the confluence. No, the confluence of of artistic talent in Florence, Italy, had to do with secular money from the. The, me- the banking class, the, the wool weavers, and it was this incredible confluence of, of patronage. They built the cathedral in Florence to be the largest cathedral in Europe, and it was paid for with private money. Sure. So it was like Wall Street. I think it's more like but New am York I, am City. Am I correct? Am I correct? Can you say something good about Wall Street today's climate? I don't know. you got to be careful. That could be very, very dangerous. Let me ask this question. <laughs> am I correct to say they sent spies to watch each other? No, they did not. Send, they did not spend Send spies, excuse me. That's not true? Is that no, that's not true. No, actually, Leonardo and Michelangelo were not that concerned with each other. That is more myth-building that came after the fact. And Raphael? They were contemporaries. I mean, yeah, you know they were contemporaries, but they weren't nearly in competition as much as, bio- as biographers have said. Have painted them. Yeah, yeah it makes a good story. Right? It's a good exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds so Italian. You want to kind of celebrate it. You know? Spe- speak yeah. of cooperation, right? One of the things I think that's really important about this neighborhood uh, that doesn't get enough sort of credit is the fact that here we have an institution started by an Italian-American, Mayor LaGuardia, Fiorello LaGuardia, in the Arthur Avenue retail market. So in 1940, what had been a street full of uh, pushcart salespeople and, you know, uh, fruit vendors, and this, they all were moved into a, at that point, very modern central facility at the retail market. And some of those businesses survived until not that long ago, and new businesses came in after. So you have a hub here that a lot of other neighborhoods don't have. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's really a blessing to this place, too, because it's sort of the clubhouse of the culture in some ways, you know? Yep. And the church is very much and a center. And the church, yep. Let's not take right away from the church. Italians built that church yeah. stone by stone, and it has always been an Italian church. It wasn't one where Italians were ever forced to worship in the basement that's <laughs> like they nice were in feeling, East Harlem. Right? Yeah. yeah. Is that why Italians, like, love basements? To be fair, <laughs> our people love basements. We do love basements. Yeah. A good basement. I mean, yeah. yeah. You no. can't say that we don't. When we build the compound, maybe it'll just be an all basement. We'll be like an underground yeah. bunker. Like yeah. Yeah. You gotta, no, because you've got to live in the basement because you've got to keep the couch upstairs nice with the place. You need the that's showroom. True. Yeah. You, need you need the, the showroom. showroom. The rest of the house is yeah. showroom. Yeah, that's true. I guess it, maybe we just didn't take it as, as much of an insult as it was intended Probably to be. We're like, true. we're fine. We're with yeah. the cucino to stick out. We'll just make provolone down there. What? You don't want to dirty the upstairs. Exactly. We'll just stay down here. That way the don't have to be in plastic. I don't have to worry if I have dirt in my shoes. It's fine. We don't want to dirty anything. We're fine. Yeah, so Don't true. worry about us. <laughs> it is so true. Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing also I, I love about this neighborhood, which is just my geeky art history side, which is that the foundation of the neighborhood is really artists, not just stone carvers, but artists. So if you go to the Bronx Zoo, which you should, it's such an amazing place. There's all these beautiful sculptures of monkeys and lions and giraffes on top of all of the zoo buildings. And it was a famous architectural firm of Heinz and Lafarge who designed them. But there were Italian sculptors who implemented them. Really? And they're beautiful sculptures. So oh, there were certainly people gorgeous. that were laborers who yeah. laid brick and, and you know, dug holes and all that. But there, were, there was this core 
of true artists who did all those carvings. And their names are lost. I mean, they're just... So it's, yeah, I mean, in the wind, but such extraordinary work and, and enjoyed such an active part of New York City life. I wonder if we could work out who was here and worked on those things. I, w I wonder if yeah. we could really dig because, you know, we as a, as a show and as a platform are working really hard to find those little crevices of very raw history and community history that are overlooked by some of the large organizations and, and see if we could inject ourselves there and champion those people and places and yeah. things and, and occurrences. So I wonder if we couldn't find out who some of the people were that actually worked on it and maybe get them recognized in the in the zoo and the botanical Yeah, so. you know, I mean, so many people's stories are, are that of, of working as laborers, but there were a lot of extremely talented and even well-trained people that came from Italy who worked for nothing. Yeah. I mean, so much, the whole city beautiful movement yes, yeah. is all the result of very skilled, very cheap Italian labor. I love you because you... T you are such an academic, like I just happened to read about the City Beautiful Movement and this new book on Brooklyn, otherwise I wouldn't have known what the heck you were talking about, but the idea that we, we had this conscious movement where we wanted to create art out of our cities, it's, mm -hmm. it's really... Um, and we're looking at Greece and Rome, I mean you look at yeah. the like the post office for yes, example, right? Exactly. All these beautiful classical columns, yeah. and then here comes this influx of people who come from that place and can create that art and they will work for the same price that, you know, yeah, <laughs> like the, the subway laborers exactly, are working for. Exactly, it's true, for. yeah, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. and people don't appreciate how many Italians all over this country, I mean, the National Cathedral, the stone carvers yeah. and the National Cathedral and the Capitol building, and I mean, just so many unnamed, unsung people who yeah. came over here. And like you say, there's, there's those who paved the roads, those who dug the subway tunnels, and, and some who really brought an artisanal heritage that has been ours for millennia to this country, and, and it doesn't get really recognized or spoken about. Constantino Brumidi. Yeah, Constantino Brumidi. He but was the, the proto... Yes. One of the proto-Italian artists in the United States, painted the Capitol Dome. Do you know that St. Dominic's, the Dominican parish in D.C., they think that Constantino Brumidi had also painted the interior murals that were in there. Really? And in the 60s, they tore them down and threw them out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there's so much stuff that's there's lost. There's so much stuff so that much, we've lost. Yeah. That's a tragedy. But one of, the, one of the things I do want to make sure we're talking about is um, the fact that this neighborhood has a, and it's the reason we're here today, kind of has a special place in New York City Christmas lore, particularly mm. for Italian-Americans. Um, I'm sure it's no sort of leap to imagine that because there's such a concentration of business and, like you say, so many loyal people who come back. But this place does get kind of special at Christmas, right? I mean, oh, yeah. what's different about Arthur Avenue at Christmas time? Well, it's a place that serves both the newcomers and the old-timers very well. So for the old-timers, you can find the Capitone. Yeah. <laughs> you can get your eel. Yeah. Um, there's all you yeah. know, can I just jump in? One of the greatest moments of my life was today because I learned <laughs> for the first time in my life that there are different types of tripe that tri sat tripe in oh, a salad. Oh, he was so excited. It was so happy. He was so <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> I have it on video. I'm so glad I have you this You have moment. that, right? That's I do. Good. Uh, it's brilliant. For, 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 for posterity. Yeah. You don't understand. It was life-changing. I, 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 I never knew that one tripe was better in salad and one 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 section of the tripe was better cooked. <laughs> the idea so of for the tripe record, and salad will take just, yeah, right Tripe there. salad, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but for the record, the two happy moments that Pat had today were the tripe and at the end when he was eating prosciutto <laughs> with, with Dave Greco. <laughs> was that was good for those Tripe is the cow belly. For those who don't know, I know oh yeah, it's cow, cow stomach lining. Yes, that yeah. your ancestors ate. So if you're skeeved, 
Don't be skeeved. It's but delicious. Wait, I don't feel like tripe is that out of... Like, I, I, feel, I know a lot of people I, who eat tripe. I love tripe. Me and my brother yeah. love tripe. I love tripe. I love tripe in a sandwich. We go to the tripe night. He tripe took, Pat sandwich. took me to tripe night. Uh-huh. What's more What's more appetizing to you, Danielle? A tripe sandwich <laughs> or a tripe salad? <laughs> <laughs> you have to pick. I think the tripe I've salad got, sounds a little a more terrifying, frankly. Yeah, I have a gun no. to your head. The sandwich at least sounds cooked. You yeah. must choose one or we're going to explode. Uh, <laughs> take no, but hold on a minute. Tripe salad for you out there who want to make it at home tonight. You want to feed your family yeah. well. Which is no one. Yeah, That's yeah. not true. You know what? The person out there who I've just bonded with, you know who you are. Write to us and let me know how your children love the tripe salad because they're going to they're gonna be very happy tonight when they come home with the tripe salad. A tripe salad is you boil the tripe, you slice up the tripe, and then you dress it with olive oil and lemon. Lemon. Oh, and a little bit of salt. And your children... They'll be the hit of the neighborhood. Invite me <laughs> over, we'll come. I feel like tripe needs a little bit more than that to cover <laughs> yeah. it. So. You know what? There's tripe lovers. My brother's a tripe lover. We're gonna, we have a Facebook group, and I love our Dripa Facebook group that I, I created many years ago. I absolutely believe that. That's the next that. T-shirt going in the Italian power I store, I think. I, I love our Dripa T-shirt. That sounds fantastic. Let me tell you something. You never had a sandwich like a tripe sandwich. You take the hot tripe, the tomato sauce cooked tripe, you put it in a soft little mushada, mushy roll, and you put one long hot pepper. Mm. Oh, so you put the hot pepper mm. down, then you put the, the cooked tripe, and then you close the sandwich, and then you experience Nirvana, paradise. I'm going to give a shout out while we're like. off on a total tripe tangent. Buddy Fortunato, the editor of the Italian Tribune, one of the nation's uh, largest and most important English language newspapers for the Italian American community, has an annual tripe night. He has the Tripe <laughs> Eaters of North America Club, I believe it's called. We've been yeah, made on members. Tripe night is, is fantastic. And they serve multiple kinds of tripe. And he made one, and I don't remember if it was Pugliese or what, but it had mint in it. It was off that the was charts. That was probably Pugliese. Mm. I yeah. could have eaten we put that. Mint in everything. Oh, man, it was so good. That was my favorite tripe the of tripe all time. The tripe was fantastic. And he also serves, he has a Calabrese chef. It's a brajol that's stuffed with breadcrumbs. That was that's fantastic oh, too. That's fantastic. unbelievable. But yeah. is it tripe or is it brajol? No, it's no, separate. It's just brajol, yeah. Yeah. You could have tripe and We're brajol. We're done with the tripe now. No, because gabuzel. <laughs> I've been trying to get him. There's gabuzel, which is which is lamb. We're gonna do a gabuzel night, me and you. Is that gonna yeah. skeet people? Gonna lose people that hear about gabuzel? The gabuzel sells around here. It's actually mostly Albanian people that buy it. Oh, but so at the know. end of the day, in the morning, there'll be about. 30 goat's heads, and by the end of the day, they'll all be gone. That, you know, like, come back. that makes me happy. Yeah. We gotta come we back a for, for a Caputel, you know, episode right before Easter, and we gotta do a time lapse yes. of them all being taken <laughs> out of the window. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna start but doing Lizelle, that. Will you eat Caputel? Yeah. The thing about Caputel is it's, it's a half of a head, Delicious. so you have many options. Yeah, I know. You can eat. I had relatives that always used to fight over the eyeball. Everybody tells me. My grandfather and brothers. I was just telling Pat. They fought over the eyeballs. It makes you smart, they say. The eyeballs? Yeah. There's a lot of nutrients You know what's nice? It's when you put the breadcrumbs on. When you have the gabuzel, you put the breadcrumbs on top. Yeah. And it's so nice and crunchy. And you're surrounded with potatoes. Mm. It's so yummy. I mean, Let's have a gabuzel party. I'm in. Uh, we got to do this. And uh, no buddy, one will come. Well, at least no, we'll be You know what? The tripe dinner. You know what? For, for you tripe haters. Roselle and I table. will be at Manji Pasta. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be Pat and John sitting in tuxedos. <laughs> that's hey, that's not abnormal. We've done <laughs> that Italian, before. Listen, the Italian Tribune tripe night sells out weeks in advance. That's wow. true. There's where, a waiting where is it list. held? It's in Jersey. Yeah, that's true. That is <laughs> Jersey tripe is still on. Listen, I, I, how many Italian American weddings you go to in the New York metro area that tripe is that's on? That's true. Is it bigger There's than the Sagra del Polpo? It's different. Oh, I don't know. Numbers-wise, I don't know. It's a different event. Saga del Popo is a... Is a this is funny that, 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 you, that the critique is coming from the uh, 
the I eat weird uh, stuff. community that <laughs> I, was I, say, I eat yeah. weird stuff. The I'm not saying you know what? I Texturally, think about this. it's similar to tripe. The lady who eats raw octopus. Fair enough. Tripe, tripe and intestines smell. Maybe the salad doesn't smell. So I could eat the salad. So if the gun was to my head, smell. Let me tell you something. My grandma said something about tripe. She said that tripe is so clean. Was this is not my grandma's gone almost twenty five years, but my grandma said tripe was so clean. She said because when she was young, to clean tripe was an all day affair. Yeah, yeah. Go in with the knife. It was black. You have to boil it. If you showed people dirty, like you know, no, 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 no. That's why the way it looks. You know, let me say, being the granddaughter of butchers, I've seen. You know what? Stomach. We're going to have our tripe party. It's a working muscle. You girls can't come. You're not invited. Okay. My wife can attest. Will your wife come? No, Nicole doesn't like hot Nicole would want nothing. She doesn't come to regular stuff. But Nicole can attest, we were in, I forget what city we were in France, Avignon or Lyon or somewhere, and they, I don't speak French, and so I'm translating in my head from reading French into Italian, and it said, specialty of the town was tripe sausage. I'm like, this is fantastic. I love tripe. I don't know if there's a different translation if tripe that we think of as stomach lining doesn't translate the same, but it was um, really more intestine heavy. Yeah, I think sometimes tripe can be a catch-all for just yeah, like... Oh. I didn't pick up on yeah. that. So I ordered this and the waiter said to me in broken French English, like, oh, monsieur, are you sure? It's very, you know, local. I'm like, no, no, I love tripe. Bring it over. This big sausage. And then they, I noticed the staff was like gathering around the door <laughs> to, to watch me. And I'm like, this is weird. And as soon as my knife punctured that sausage, I knew this was not stomach lining mm. because obviously this is, you know these things can smell of what they do for yeah. the animal and i was like okay i'm not gonna let my people down and let these french people see that i'm not gonna eat this so i'm gonna eat this whole thing i can't let these french guys i can't let them say me. no no because i you know i saw i'm in the tripe eaters club <laughs> so i had to have a lot of mustard my wife was dying laughing she's like she couldn't believe but i did i <laughs> i held my nose without holding my my hand to it but no i was not good a lot of teeth brushing after that. Oh. But, uh, but we, we Wait, so the one time, Patrick, that I ate tripe and liked it, there was one time. There was one time. And? And it was actually um, blended and in a raviolo. Wow. Because yeah, it's the texture, I'll work I think. With that. I'll work. You know what? I'm going to meet you halfway. So when we have this tripe event, we're going to have a raviolo. We're going to call it ravioli alla rosella. Oh, great. And we're going to have minced tripe in the ravioli. It, it was like puree. Can we talk to Buddy mm. Fortunato about this? Yeah, have, why not? Have you ever heard it called buzeca? Is no, that the Albanian word? No, my from Northern Italy. My Northern Italian mother-in-law makes it for my husband, and really? I and I don't. What is it? Rocco gets it when she leaves. <laughs> it's called. Bu- <laughs> it's it's the exact same tripe stew we make, but they call it on microphone that Rocco is Oh, sorry, dog. Rocco is my dog. Yeah, Danielle and I both have dogs named Rocco. So. <laughs> yeah, so, so she she tripe. makes it. He loves it, but they call it buzeca. I never heard of that. Yeah. How, what do they have in it? It's the same exact tripe. Tomatoes. Yeah. Tomatoes, onions, carrots. They probably took it from this is from Naples. It's probably a Neapolitan dish that they hijacked. They, you know, they have plenty of poor people in northern Italy too. So it's poor people. I food. think it's. I would take tripe over the best cut of steak. If you put in oh, front of me the best, on. I'm serious. That's Not even all. for me. That's hard. Yeah, no, because on. I like the. Cons- you like I it. like chili. Like I had when we were in the fish store here. I love bluefish. It is like my absolute favorite fish in the world. And when I said to the guy, I love bluefish, he looked at me like I just got off of Mars. He's like. Nobody under 60 asks for me. <laughs> okay. I like it, but it's oily. I like oily, greasy, I like oily, greasy, fatty. 
He's always trying to get me to buy it. And I'm like, eh. Bluefish? Yeah. You don't? No. Why? Fried bluefish. I don't know. Is, Maybe is I'm gonna try it now. I just I don't know. Oh, Haven't been in the mood to try something you, new. If you try, if you eat fried bluefish, that's what he told me and to do. I like try to prepare it, yeah. like bacala, and you fry it, then you cook it in the tomato sauce a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're gonna cry. You and your husband <laughs> will be in tears. Okay. Then you'll call me. You'll I'll, I'll let you know. Call me. <laughs> I will send you a text. I think it's a beautiful. Well, can we have a, a tripa, Rosella ravioli, capuzzello? Calabrese brajol and bluefish party. With sanguinacho for dessert. With sanguinacho. Ah, yeah. Just have the weirdest food party. Yeah. Like food that is based, they say Scottish food is based on a dare. Let's <laughs> just have. But you know what? You know what one of the hardest tickets to get in the entire social world of New York City is the Explorers Club dinner. Mm-hmm. And they eat tarantulas and bat wings. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going fin. down that. No, no, road, but, but I'm not saying we need to eat that stuff. But I'm saying, like, I've always said, we do all these fundraisers in the Italian community. You get the same three courses. Everybody's the same dinner, two anthems, prayer, same speeches. With all due respect to the participants, why don't we do a night like we have people, Medigan yeah. people coming to support our event? Let's have the fear just to factor try. Dinner. Yeah, basically, yeah. it's a, it's a draw. It's <laughs> sharing our culture. It's something unique, but yeah. I think it's appealing. And we got to say, if you finish all the food, <laughs> you make your way you get around. Your free, you get your tickets free. <laughs> yeah, we we'll refund you the money. I'll never I'll be going free for the rest of my life. No, no, but you have to. We have to make it like interesting. We yeah, make some, one of them. Ha- one of the challenges has to be like ridiculous. What's the weirdest Italian food you could think of? Capuzzo. I mean, we kind of get. I think you know. Sa- well, sanguinacho's up there. Yeah, sanguinacho. So can yeah. I, can I tell? I have a story of when I was teaching at Seton Hall University. I was teaching Art History 101, and Pat showed up with a big container of sanguinato that he gave to me right before class. With so I didn't have time spot. to put it in my car first. That's just called Tuesday also. <laughs> <laughs> and I had it sitting, I thought, like off of view, but somebody noticed it. And they said, what is that? I'm like, uh, uh, and they should have just said chocolate pudding, but I just was <laughs> yeah. so thrown off. And I was like, sanguinato. Everybody's like, what's sanguinato? <laughs> and then I remembered and I dialed it back and said chocolate pudding, but, but I'll never forget there's that. There's never an easy answer to that question. <laughs> but I have to say, his, and I know how much of the ingredients he uses, but the way he does it, the mix, I, I like sanguinato. I like it in all forms. His, to me, tastes like a, 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 a little bit of an irony. You know, you know, there's blood in there, but irony. yeah, really irony like uh, chocolate mousse. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's yeah. very good. It's very delicate. I make a it good sanguine. You make a great sanguine. Tastes like a Hershey bar with, with pennies in it. Your own blood <laughs> <in> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <laughs> like cut your finger and then I use the best <laughs> ingredients. My sugar is organic <laughs> from Brazil. <laughs> My Dexter's chocolate, chocolate, my chocolate is, is Cut from your Belgium. finger and lick it and then eat a spoon <laughs> of Nutella. Yeah. And my pig's blood is from yeah, Newark. That's actually pretty yeah, accurate. Newark pig's blood. I that's got <laughs> Newark FDA approved pig's blood. And I'm I think FDA the guy, approved too. Like no, I think my, the guy know. thinks something. He's like, why is this guy keep coming in and get, buying gallons of pig's blood? I'm like, no, friends of mine want to make chocolate pudding with your pig's blood. He's like, okay. Because he sells it to Hispanic sausage makers. And, you know, some, some kind of like Irish people. Dude. Yeah, Polish people make blood Black sausage. Black sausage, blood but I think sausage. he's like, why is this guy keep coming and say, "Can I have two gallons of pig's blood?" <laughs> it's Tuesday, Listen, and people I'm give not, me that look. I'm not a shy chick when it comes to like eating weird parts of a pig. Yeah. All right, I've, I've eaten pig's ears. I'll eat the the belly, the cheeks, the what have you. But when it comes to like, you're asking me to eat pig's blood mixed with chocolate, I'd rather cut my finger, <laughs> lick it, and then eat a spoonful of Nutella. You know Nutella. what we're going to do? We're going to have, we're, we're going to sneak it. Blind taste test, yeah. Blind taste test. What, but you think that's the weirdest thing? Capuzzo, well, sanguinage? Can, can I plug sanguinage? Arthur Avenue, 
The bakeries in North. Yeah, they, they all make it. They all make it. And what time? Were they around Easter? Right? Easter time. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Before uh, Ash Wednesday. All, and it's like the secret signs go up in the window. Yes. You know, and there's no explanation. That's and really cool. If you ask, and you and people like they will size you up. I mean, like they'll answer me. But I've had tourists ask, and Carmela from Egidios just go. Hey, you wouldn't like it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's tribal rights, baby. Yeah. That means because I've eaten it at a couple of places. That that tells I think you you're it, in the club. I think if you're a listener and you have children, it's a great family event. <laughs> Come to Arthur Avenue and bring the kids for chocolate pudding day <laughs> in February, <laughs> and then you could have a little sanguinacci here, a little sanguinacci there, oh. and then tell, tell the kids on the ride home. Guess what, children? This and you've made back. young Italian Americans. This brings us back <laughs> to the question to that John asked, like. 30 minutes ago, yeah. which was, what makes this neighborhood so special? And it's that really at Easter and Christmas time, you can find all of these things. Yes. So all the old timers can satisfy their sanguinacho craving, and you can get the cucidati cookies. The people from and Puglia it's like abuse Neapolitan pastries. All of these things, Uh-oh. but you can also... A vigil of protection. Pat and Rosella don't agree on Rococo Mostachola cookies. That's I, a, it's a long-standing problem. They're not enjoyable. It's but a, they're you hard. Know, we no, agree no, they're but hard. But Pugliese have stuff that's, like, not enjoyable also. Like, with <laughs> our baked figs, I mean, you love... I think you just love really hard <laughs> foods <laughs> that don't taste good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my figs are nice and soft. Your figs, I mean, we'll do respect. My grandmother's you, fi- your my fig, your figs, my nonna's figs could kill someone. How yeah, long do you think those somebody. dry figs last? I mean, my grandparents have had some of them that I'm sure they've had since the 80s. I'm like, you got to yeah, turn these yeah. over. Oh, man. That you just you could bang them on like the table. They're like bricks. What's and then people think some. I don't know what region it is where they put the walnut in it and think we that's Chilento. Yeah, Chilento, it's Chilento, right? Yeah. Yeah. In Puglia, we put almonds in them. You could put almonds you too. Yeah. Put walnuts, but walnuts. But we think that's helping. Let me tell you that's something. Not, I mean, it's <laughs> hold on, hold on. It's an equally dried out and aged nut. But like, I think they would just give them to kids to like because it would take you like three hours to eat one of them. If you're one of those people who like leaves the gummy bears out and the Twizzlers so they become rock hard and that makes you happy, then get some of these figs because my baked figs. With walnuts and fennel seeds. But People baked, demand them. Baked is different than dried. No, because Campania, we don't dry them. In Campania, yeah. we have dried figs. Yeah, but, the, but who does dried, dried figs, figs with the walnut? The Campania. The, you split it open yes. like a book. You know what, though? You all these things, the if you have in. them when they're first made, are delicious. Yes. It's, you know, Thank you, Daniel. later That's, that yes. they... Yeah. Yes. So if you're stuffing them on the farm and you're having them in Campania for Christmas, they're delicious. Yes. When they've been shipped across... Yeah, but I've the, done, I the Atlantic Ocean yeah, and a month later. When you use dried figs, like... We use the dried figs here. Like we make them here, and we we split, the, we butterfly them. We put the bay leaves and the almond inside. We bake them, and you know, it just depends how long you bake them for. They would just overbake them because, yeah. from what I said before, the humidity is yeah, the enemy. Yeah, but you know, do you know yeah. why I think you they overbake them? You need them to be them really too? dry yeah. and to last forever. Because you know, you couldn't just have the luxury back then of throwing out no, figs that nothing. went moldy. Especially a fig. That's like yeah. that, was, that. that. Yeah, but I just you know where I think it comes from. They used to put them in bread ovens that were like 800 yeah. bazillion degrees because you, they didn't have um, a thermometer. It wasn't a modern gas oven that you could turn a channel. That's why, you know, it's, it's great we're having this conversation because the south of Italy really didn't get pastries like we know them today until the really the Bourbon period because it's too hard to make a cake. And the only leavening you have is, is beating egg whites into a meringue. And you put them into the, an oven that's like 800 degrees. You just burn. But that's why we fried pastries at Christmas. That's why we fried zeppola. Because wow. you can control the oil temperature. This is why I love you. Because you can Make come some, out with something. I that, mean, that it's, it's, it's groundbreaking. It's really. pertinent <laughs> information, too. Like, 
you think about Struffoli and uh, Zeppole sure. and all these things that are uh, what, what are the uh, with the Gastagna. Um, oh, the like the pasticcello with, yeah, the, with the yeah, pasticcello and all these things, and those are our traditional or, or the uh, the Barre's uh, cartellat. No, uh, cartellat. Yeah. Yeah. But almond cookies too. You know, yeah. you didn't put baking powder in the. You yeah. didn't need baking powder. But we we to make fried those. stuff because frying you can control the temperature much easier than sticking something in an oven. So if you took the figs and put them in the oven. It's a bread oven that has wood burning in it is going to be really hot. This is really, uh, I never really actually thought of the uh, frequency of fried desserts, particularly around holiday time, which is probably the rare times we were having desserts and sweets uh, in Southern Italian culture until you said that. And it brings me to an interesting Christmas question while we're here, because in my family, we're the only ones that I know of that calls the ribbon cookies nucatel. What do you guys call them in your family? I think the noca was the old word. So you have to understand something. Neapolitan dessert culture overtook Campania. Because once you went out to, like, Calabria didn't get real pastry shops until the 50s after the war. Wow. So people from Naples looking to make money, you know, guys looking for jobs. If they grew up working in a bakery at a family bakery, they picked up and went to Calabria because with the gas oven, they could make sfidel and pasta shots. So so this is what I love about the Italians of West Virginia and Ohio. They, a lot of them have very basic, especially ones from Calabria, Basilicata, have very basic, like, um, I know that they make, like, I think it's in Youngstown. I've seen it in Youngstown where they make a, like, a pocket, a little calzone with, stuffed with um, chickpeas, crushed yeah. chickpeas and sugar. Yeah. Mm, that and, sounds great. And yeah. Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. Yeah, because there that do Cala- it in Calabria, you, the only dessert you were getting was fried. Well, there was no flour, batter, and honey. That's it, right? But well, what happened no, is. Cartellata dough is made out of uh, white wine, olive oil, and flour. But the batter, I'm saying. But there's nothing else added to it. It's, the, the ingredients are not, um, you know, you're not talking about a, a, a huge diversity of ingredients. It's the batter, no. and then honey no, is the sweetener. It, well, no, uh, the, the syrup that we put on top is the vin cotto. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. But these uh, are all like the sweets yeah. of the country, the sweets of Naples and Palermo, where the sweets of the aristocracy. Sugar oh, right. is yeah, an import product, yeah. is a luxury yeah, sugar, product, exactly. right? Sugar creams and sugar things cre- like that. Yeah, exactly. Know? So that's, like, we only have that in the cities. This is, yeah. you know, figs were the candy of the countryside. Yeah, like so. granulated, sh- anything with granulated sugar added to it, like any kind of creams and stuff would have been really expensive. Yeah, and uh, just not in the tradition. You just never would have wasted milk to make yeah. a, yeah, a exactly. custard, uh, yeah. like a pastry cream like that. That came much later. That and came that with that came about. If, that uh, came with all the French influence. Correct, yes, the French. The court of because Naples. that's why the St. Joseph Zapola, the St. Joseph Zapola that we know today, and in New England they just called Zapola, was 100% a Neapolitan adapting a French pasta choux with a French pastry cream. Sure. Because what happened was the fasting rules had changed. So before the 1740s or the 1780s, there was no milk and eggs at all allowed during Lent. And then after the 1740s, 1780s, it, became, it was much more um, easy going on the rules. So what happened was now for St. Joseph's Day, you could have this French-based pasta choux. I think it was, what was the, um, it might have been Pignatara. And I think it was 1848, that base, the 1840s that invented what we basically know now as the St. Joseph's Apola. But before that, it had been the regular Zepola, which they call in Puglia Petola. So the, and the, just the fried dough ball was the Zepola sure. before the French influence came in. I mean, the, the Zepola is quite old. If you look at the, the Greek 
dessert, Lucamatas. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right, sure, sure. The giant the Zay, truffle, see, yeah. Let me just say, <laughs> if you say, because I know we have the New England. Truffle, New England fantastic. listeners are going to be confused because I have found in New England the word Zapola is exclusively used for what we in New York would refer to as a St. Joseph Zapola. Mm-hmm. In New England and in, I guess, in um, like Ohio, they refer to pizza frit- fried dough. Mm-hmm. And they would sell that as a feast, as their dessert, and where we would sell zapola. Pizza frit was a was what happened was you took bread dough, yeah, and you rolled it out into a flat disc, and then you fried it when you were done. You know, mom baked all the bread with grandma and the aunts, and then she had some dough left over, and she fried some for the kids for fun, where they would put tomato sauce on it or sugar or whatever. Um, that's that's regional in this country as well. So I think when we refer to zapola, we have to make it clear that. The zapo that we're talking, there's a St. Joseph's zapo that's in the New York, New Jersey parlance, would be the pasta chewy, the baked or fried with the pastry cream, versus the piece of fried dough, which we would also call zapola. That was the original, because if, if you go into Naples and Sorrento, all their Christmas desserts are fried. So, so Scaradietta, which was a, like, the ones that look like pretzels, mm. which were fried, the stufa that was fried, the zapo that were fried... Um, the zapo meaning the dough ball, which was also coated with honey, sometimes uh, stuffed with, with raisins. They were all fried desserts because ovens were just too hard to work with. It's really funny. We have this conversation, and again, it makes me think uh, from an anthropological perspective, from a historical perspective, and we're all at this table. Last week was Thanksgiving, and I experimented with the recipe that you Transcribe, Danielle, right? You, you, yeah. you, uh, what's the, the bonding word? moment? M- multiple right? trips to Jerry's to buy chestnut puree <laughs> yeah. with Pat yelling at me Pat on the phone. Invented about. <laughs> a chestnut chocolate and uh, fig jam, fig uh, jelly pie as the Italian American, Southern Italian American alternative to uh, pumpkin pie. And, and to, to be fair, yeah, the con- the, the chestnut um, fig combination. In different ways, have been used in Avellino. Yeah, no, no, and, I, and yeah. then the tour. So I have, I, I, I took my own take on what was used in the Val di Diano and Erpina. But it came out fantastic. My my in laws loved it. Everybody loved it. I know Danielle said it was uh, one of the best pies she's ever had. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And it, but to think to think about the fact that it is yes, it's based on historical. Wow, I did a good job, didn't you I? You did, and it's God and, bless it, and me. it is absent of any additional sugars. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously. Chestnut puree has some sweet, sweet sugar added yeah. to it, but the fig jam has a lot of sugar. Nah, yeah, that's yeah. right. But um, you know, you're not putting extra sugar in. There's no egg. There's mm-hmm. no. It's it's a very authentic. It's anthropologically authentic. I think. Wow, we're smart. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're it's smart. Like, it's like this is like a, such a nerd conversation, isn't it? Uh, it's like the nerdiest. Yeah, this is this know, is like nerds tripping on Arthur Avenue. We are who we. <laughs> Well, well, I figured out a way to do it professionally, so Amen. there's interest. That's, that's one thing wow. that unites us all. We have all figured out ways to become professional Italian-Americans yes. and pursue our love for this. Because we share the sickness. The, yeah. love, the love is an addiction. When yeah. people ask me sometimes, they say, oh, aren't you, you know, I don't have children. They'll say, well, you don't have kids to pass these traditions down to. I'm like, I'm passing them on to you Yep. right now. Here you go. This is it. This is yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, we're, we're, we're putting in the work. Uh, I was talking to Dolores yesterday on the phone. And uh, for those of you out there who missed Dolores and Anthony, you know, they will be back around soon. Obviously, Dolores has just had her first child, and she said to me. She named him Patrick, I heard. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) She named him Angelo. Uh, And she said to me, you know, all this stuff that I loved doing, uh, that we were doing to preserve this, it's just taken on another dimension for her because now she feels more of sort of an urgency and direct need to pass it on to her son. I thought that was really beautiful because we're doing so 
much of this because we love it, but also because you really do want to make sure it's there and preserved. Like to lose these things, uh, it, it, it's a tragedy. And and in Italy, a lot of these traditions are lost. We brought yeah. them over here from the eighteen sixties to the nineteen thirties and forties and beyond, and they've already been lost there. So. But what it, the, I think the core of it, what Italians do so well, it's like the art of human connection. Oh, I love and, you. And I, that's absolutely <laughs> the truth. We're great humans. Yeah. And then that's what people love about Arthur Avenue, and that's why they like going into the bread shop where the guy remembers, you know, that somebody in their family was sick the last time that they saw them. It's the art of human connection, and that is just something that Italians can do to make America a better place. Amen. You know, I, I, think, I think little neighborhoods like this are so, so incredibly comforting for people. I mean, I come from a really Italian-American neighborhood, but one that sadly is changing, and there are fewer and fewer uh, businesses there every year, and every time someone moves away, uh, they come back after four or five years, and they expect their favorite pizzeria to be there. And sometimes it's not, and they get so upset. They're like, oh, but, you know, the, the neighborhood's changed. And I was like, yeah, it changed because you left. Yeah. yeah. And you got to spend not, money at that pizzeria. Yeah, you're not yeah. going to buy street. his pizza anymore. Yeah. You leave. You Loyalty buy, is a two-way street. You buy your house in the suburbs, but yep. then you expect this guy to be waiting for you. Yep. Yeah. You it's know, like the so churches that close, and people come back, and I, I got baptized there. Yeah, and you stopped coming. You know, church mm-hmm. doesn't have to be there. It's about you. It's about the community. This is a community. It's a living, breathing thing. It ain't a museum. It's not Disney World. Yep. This is a community. There's no law or rule or city ordinance that says this needs to be an Italian place. No. It's just natural uh, charism that keeps it that way and, and loyalty. Yeah. And some people will say, well, oh, you guys should get the zoned as a historic district. I'm like, yeah. And, you know, I come from the culture world, and so I understand what that means. And, and coming from the culture world, I actually say a much better way to preserve it is just to spend money here. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's actually a really market-based yeah. solution yeah. A in historic this historic district means ugats if, it, if, you're not, uh, if it's yeah. not vibrant and lively. It doesn't if do If you anything. want it yeah. to last forever, you have to support the neighborhoods that you want to be there for you. Yeah, and if you don't, and you do go back, it's a... Parody of itself, anyway. Yeah. It, it, it's a it's a potential. It's no longer village. an authentic yeah, place. So, yeah. what do you want to go back to that for? That's you know, just because it's painted red, white, and green. Who cares? Yeah. That's not this place. To its credit, really does. You, we walked around today. We did a lot, and you're going to see it on video. So and I don't want to give it away. You know what the yes. funny thing is? Yes. And we ran into people we knew, and it was like a wow, like it's a real place. And it's like a in a real Italian village, tomorrow people are going to say to me. Who's that, who's that who guy I saw walking around with the microphone? What were you doing yesterday? I saw the oh, cooking with Nona girl. How do you know her? That was, we, we were trying to do one shot. We were trying to get one shot, and there's two women going, that's cooking with Nona. And they were so yeah. loud that you could hear it on our microphone. And, yeah. they and that's felt the one bad. who just commented, like, I saw cooking with Nona at Sharini Coffee. Now you know we're yeah. keeping a tribe when, you, when, you, when it's going around already. I saw them. Uh, it was a really, really good day, and thank you for spending so much time with us. Oh, thank you, guys. You this led a awesome. tour in the middle of this insanity, so thank did. you. To Medi Guns. Yeah, oh, that's got to be the best audience, but right? But Italian they women know how to multitask uh, better than that anyone is true. on that the is planet. True. You guys do a great job of it. Well, I, uh, I, we didn't give you too much on Christmas, but we got a couple <laughs> more episodes before the holiday comes to talk we about. We still never said how much to put in our boost. From the first episode, that's first true. Episode We've never even they gotta keep listening to find boost. out. <laughs> and we talked about everything but our boost. Yeah. It's I gonna be like who shot I, Jr. One no, day you're gonna no. find out. I think for our one year anniversary episode, we're beyond one year already. Yeah. No, no, but we are. We are. Yeah, yeah we've been doing this really? more than a year. But you know, let me let me just say let me see one thing. How old am I? <laughs> I've got one thing that I want to say about what you guys are doing. This is so wonderful. A lot of people love Arthur Avenue because it's like the Italian American Genesis. They don't know that much about their family from Italy, 
but their first stories, their first family stories are here or Mulberry Street or any of the other Little Italy's in the United States. But the fact that you guys are really going back and illuminating the history and people are interested and people connect to it now, you know, they're, they're discovering it through Ancestry.com and whatever, and that you're really giving people a deep connection to their history, through their stories, is tremendous. Because nostalgia is not fun if you yeah. can't, you know what I mean? Just hearing stories about Johnny and the stickball is fun for three minutes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but you know what? Learning about the, the Bourbon Kings or the Normans and all that really connects us to something greater and deeper. And I really give you guys so much credit for, for, not, for being smart and being intelligent and thoughtful and being fun while you're doing all of these things. With That's the, the most important American part. version of NPR. Thank you. <laughs> I this think, is, this no, but is, it's like with the, it's such no, a spirit I, of curiosity, is, which the, is so important. And I think considered. too much too much of anything on. is boring. Yeah. So you know we yeah. really try and mix it up a lot. But it's the curiosity I think, and then and then like the yeah. affection that goes with it that makes it all just so enjoyable. And it's so important. You guys are doing such an thank amazing, you. thank amazing you, thing. Danielle, as a yeah. dear and beloved friend. I thank you from the depths of my heart. And I think that as I do this more and more, what I, what I begin to see is that what unites us, I think when we initially began, we thought that what united us was a nostalgia for this. And I think that's incorrect. It's partly correct, but it's incorrect. Because nostalgia is like frozen. And we're not trying to relook It's exclusionary. Yeah. It's exclusionary. We're building a future because we're saying, okay, the Italian-American experience is changing. The world is changing. We you know with the owner of the restaurant, we just, you know, she... She goes back to Naples, and, and in a matter of weeks, things change. Yeah. You know, the world is in constant change and flux. Now, with we're, we're in a world of disruptive change. It's changing even more. And I think we don't know where we're going to be as a community in 50 years because we don't know where anything's going to be in 50 years. But I think that we have enough of confidence in who we are and what we are and what we do that somehow we're going to make it work. And, and we come from this place that's, that has endured everything. Yeah. And so a deeper connection to that place gives us, as a community, a greater sense of resilience and just and that's exactly why we wanted to tape here and manji pasta because it so embodies what we believe in it's saying okay we have a, a t italian tradition even more as the as the owner articulated which i agree with a neapolitan tradition it's brought to the u.s it's totally authentic because she's from naples she came here as an adult but she's adapted it that people can go shopping stop in have a quick nubiata de macaroon and then and go out and do what they have to do and it it brings the two worlds together. And, and what do you, was your favorite quote from the leopard? For things to stay the same. They must change. They must change. So I think that that's why we're here, because we're looking toward the future. And with that, well, you, you... I just think with such a multifaceted culture, you have, to, uh, you have to keep it mixed up. You have to offer a little bit of everything, because people just have different um, desires for yeah. what they want to hear and listen to. Sometimes they want to hear about history and sometimes they want to hear about something that's more pop culture related. It's, it's about making a minestrone for people yeah. to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Danielle, you said something very complimentary, I think, and I've heard this from a few people, uh, that there's an affection here in yeah. our group. And, you know, for those of you who joined the New Neighborhood, um, which is our uh, private Facebook group, if you haven't joined it, you really, I encourage you, not just because it supports the show, but because it's a great venue. And we all have affection there. I ran yeah. into a few people a couple nights ago. And, you know, it's that digital piazza Pat always talks about. We really do. I, I mean, it sounds stupid. Um, we love each other. We're like a little family. And yeah. we do a lot of things together. We talk to each other when we're not recording. Sometimes we have to limit ourselves because we're like, oh, I can save that for the microphone. Yeah. We're very, very close. We really, really are. I, I think that that comes through. And... Uh, 
Well, you guys are all, you all have a, a special connection to your family. You're probably the only ones in your family that are just, maybe you had a unique relationship with your grandparents, obviously. Yeah. Rosella I, does. The, gra the grandparents. Yeah, the, so we all had maybe a, the yeah. slightly more thoughtful or bookish members of your family. And then there's some sort of, you know, affection that come, aff affection and curiosity. That's the two things I I would give you guys. This is why I call this credit for in many ways our, our therapist couch. Because <laughs> I think, I think I'm Dr. Melfi. <laughs> <true. laughs> the real, the real Italian-American. If we look at each and every one of us, we'll find like, you know, my blood brother is not as Italian as I am. Um, I think John's brothers, he's like the most Italian one out of his yeah. Yeah. siblings. Pat, I mean, forget about it. Like, who could be? Yeah. No, who but could it, be <laughs> as no, when, when I found, as I found recently a record that said my great-great-grandmother was a weaver, the first person I texted was Pat. My brother would be like, why are you, yeah. What, yeah, like, why are you talking to me? And Dolores, out of my all brother. Dolores' siblings, she's absolutely the most yes, by far. Italian No, but one. I think Anthony's more Italian than me in a lot of ways. The way he thinks, uh, if, I don't know. If you knew He's my brother, your brother, yeah. Neapolitan quotes, you know. <laughs> no, but he'll right. say stuff to me on the phone. My my mother says to me, "He's more Italian than I am." I don't. I, think I don't so. know about uh, if. Let's maybe not in terms of nature, but in terms of activity and like the yeah. stuff that you talk about and the passion about. I don't think there's anybody I know that's more Italian. Like I, yeah, again, call him about the Weaver. I, hey Pat, I'll send I have him a house. You know Pat, why I'm Pat, a sick. You outfitted your brother's apartment. Like a like an Italian bride post bridal shower. Sure, he's texting me pictures of the dinettes to your, get my your opinion. Your brother has a vinyl tablecloth that you got him purchased for him and yes. put on his uh, kitchen table. Best quote of the there day. Is well, no you one you more Italian you nixed the Capodimonte lamps I was going to get. Him. <laughs> I had these beautiful Capodimonte lamps, and you're like, no. The best quote of the day. You was and Dolores killed. Yeah, Think if you want happy. the guy to never have sex again, please put those <laughs> lights in his apartment. What do you want me to we, say? We met somebody from Capo di Monte, and Pat says, I wonder if everybody in Capo di Monte has Capo di Monte lamps. We have to, to ask me, that was the best thing and I ever And then I was heard. like, not as much as you. <laughs> That's true. You, I got, probably, I was, you probably I, have you more. I have a room in my house, sofa with Prosepio. I said, if anybody, if I ever fell and an ambulance had to come and get me, they would lock me up because... <laughs> What am I going to do with this? I have a huge perception. I have, I have so many houses. It would take me years to put it up and years to put it down, and you can't pack it away. And I'm like, why did I buy all this? I'm like, because I could not not have done it. We need to do that. I could if not have done it. anybody out there in, a, in, a, in an Italian enclave around the country knows of a significant-sized building coming up for sale at a reasonable <laughs> price, please call us. We need a museum. We need a place where we can I share this with I must say, I'm going to go to the Prosepio Street in Naples, and John was with me. And there were no more pieces left. I said, I got everything. We walked up and down. It was, the, it was, the, it was like Alexander a, the Great. It was amazing. I was a full block. I, uh, I got every piece. Dedicated to only Presepio making. Dozens and dozens of artisans. And we walked into every shop. We were probably there for eight hours. We did a full day. Yeah, yeah. I take it seriously. And he looked at every piece. And there was not one piece that he <laughs> did not have. And he was devastated. And I, I said to him, I gotta make you something. I gotta sculpt you something out of terracotta because I wanna make a piece it, of myself. I, you, we'll me in we'll there? go through the design, yeah. I'm gonna do it. You gotta sculpt me in terracotta. That'll be my Christmas gift to you. You and terracotta. Can we make that an yeah. ornament and people, yes. we could yeah. buy it and give it to charity, the money. Bro, you think we could sell Can a paddle boil like, ornament? Hang me on your tree. Next year's Christmas, yeah. Absolutely. Dun, 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 dun. Absolutely. Every year we could have a different like pose. Like, like the White be, House, yeah. Yeah, put me on the Persepio. One year like, you as a professor, one year you as a knight, one year you as the yeah, prior. But, I, of the, but yeah. I could be in like, one year I could be a butcher. 
See, I have the butcher. Isn't pieces. the regatta maker your favorite, though? Yeah. I think <laughs> uh, well, I have a gabi don seller. I swear to God, I'm making this up. I have a gabi don seller, and I have a regatta maker. And I look at them like, who was the genius who came up with this? Will I ever know you? Will I meet you in the next life? Will I meet you in paradise? And I say, you the man who invented the gabi don seller? Well. I know that that's a big part of your joy and uh, a big part of your Christmas, and I've, been, I've enjoyed so much doing that with you. I will probably talk about Presepio on the next episode a little bit more because uh, we haven't even touched on Christmas, but we've been together for a long time. <laughs> sure, because we had to come up with how much to put in the envelope. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. Eventually, keep listening to the show. We'll tell you how much dun, to put dun, in the booster envelope, dun, I dun, promise. Dun, dun, but uh, from all of us at the Italian American Podcast, Danielle, thank you for being here. Really enjoyed the company. Thank you. Really yes. enjoy your expertise. And uh, so long from Arthur Avenue. And uh, we'll be back next week with the Italian American Podcast. You bring out your amore. You get chicken cacciatore. When your mama's a paisano, you have got the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano.